I'm Michael Laurie, and you're listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundup. Hello and welcome to the Ulster Rugby Roundup's World Cup Special, brought to you in association with Remus Uomo, Victoria Square Belfast and Stockists Nationwide. We left him to his own devices for a week and already the Rugby World Cup is falling down round Jonathan Bradley. He joins us on the line from Fukuoka. Hello Jonathan. Hi you guys, how's it going man? All good here, just uh, less bad weather by the sound of things. Uh, how is your, before we get into the storm, how has your, your week off been? You had some time off last weekend for a change? Yes, yeah, so there was no press conferences on Saturday and Sunday. Now we still do right stuff. Um, but you were sort of more at your more at your leisure, more at your own devices, I suppose, because you weren't dictated to by the times of the press conference. So the Ireland players got away from uh, camp for a few days and uh, got away from us for a few days and we got away from them for a few days. So uh, everybody came back a lot happier. <laughs> uh, that meant some baseball for you, which was a bit of a, a different sporting experience out there. Yeah, so I've had uh, well a lot of rugby, obviously, but uh, some sumo wrestling and nice and play on baseball. Baseball, so so if you don't know, is absolutely huge over It's probably the second or third most popular sport, and so uh, during the crunch uh, crunch time in their season, and it just so happened that this was the beginning day that we landed into Fukuoka. So um, I think they've won four of the last five championships the team in Fukuoka. So they're really one of the things that this area is actually known for, and. Uh, but they've advanced to the next round now, so they're playing up there. Well, I assume they're playing up there in Tokyo. I don't actually know what's uh, what happens to the baseball with the weather. But, uh, yeah, really cool experience. Uh, for anyone in Japan, I'd really recommend trying to get the game if you can. So, you've landed in Fukuoka. You may have difficulties leaving Fukuoka because of Typhoon Hajibis. Yeah, so I am basically leaving here, obviously, after the Ireland game, supposedly. But... It looks like it's actually going to be impossible to get to Tokyo because they're going to cancel transport over the weekend. So, as yet, I'm sort of on the side of that one. I'm actually going to end up doing because I'll actually have to leave one hotel and I'm not able to get to my other hotel. So, um, that's sort of fun and games for later on in the week. I should probably start that tomorrow, really. These are the things that fall through the gap when everybody's worrying about their Rugby World Cup. It's your hotels that I am most concerned about, Jonathan. I'd just like you to know that. It's like- you know, everyone's worried about the integrity of the competition, but nobody's worried how I'm going to get um, across the country on, the, <laughs> on Sunday after the game. So, so uh, it'll all work out fine. It, it would need to. So what might not work out fine is the weekend's rugby. Well, what definitely isn't going to work out fine is the weekend's rugby. Just update us in to where we are right now with the absolute havoc that is the Rugby World Cup. Yes, yeah, so an incredible day at the Rugby World Cup, obviously, Certainly the most uh, incredible there's ever been without uh, a game being played. So where we stand as of now, which is Thursday night Japanese time, England and France is off, gone, cancelled, not to be made up. Same with uh, New Zealand and Italy. Now Italy, believe it or not, had a slim chance of qualification for the quarterfinals had they beat New Zealand with a bonus point, which wasn't going to happen, but... The fact that it could have happened means that we, we have this asterisk with the cool stages of this tournament forevermore. But more importantly, obviously, to both the competition and to Ireland, is the fact that we've also under threat is the Japan-Scotland game to be played in the same place, Yokohama, in 24 hours beyond when the, when the game on Saturday 
So, should that game be cancelled, which looks increasingly likely given what Wardrobe are saying, unless they come under so much pressure that they come up with a contingency plan, uh, but there's no contingency plan at the minute, then Scotland would essentially be out, mm-hmm. presuming that Ireland get a losing bonus point against Samoa the night before. Mm-hmm. So, what do you reckon are the chances of that Scotland game going ahead right now? Well, it looks slim. You know, you, you sort of um, this typhoon is making news around the world for weather geeks because of its um, severity, its unusual severity. So, this is going to have a huge impact. You know, you see lesser storms and lesser typhoons, and this now, which is a super typhoon, and um, the damage that they have caused. So, this is going to be. Um, and as you should point out, obviously, first and foremost, we're concerned for the people who live there and their livelihoods. But um, mm-hmm. as a rugby podcast, you know, we have to focus on rugby. But yeah. there's going to be huge, huge impacts to the surrounding area. And it's very hard to see, as much as the typhoon should be clear about it, it's very hard to see uh, the stadium and the surrounding area being safe for those players on fans should this all come to pass. Mm-hmm. As you say, there are more important aspects to this. but. From Ireland's point of view, if the Scotland game's off, it's good news and bad news. Good news because they'll definitely go through, but probably more bad news because it condemns them to definitely play against what will be a very well-rested New Zealand team. Yeah, um, it shouldn't come as any surprise to anybody that Steve Hansen's been quite canny about the way he's used his squad. He's given everybody um, a good chunk of minutes throughout. He's rotated a lot. So... I don't think that they're going to be rusty. There's a few players, namely Odin Bart, Kieran Reid, and Richie Moonga, who won't have played um, in 17 days. Should this come to pass because they missed the Namibia game, haven't been played in the Canada game. So that's maybe a, just a little bit on the edge between rest and rust, but by and large, they're going to be fresh. And they we only have to go back four years to see. Um, the benefits that it could be to miss the final game of the pools. You know, you think yeah. back to how much damage it caused the Ireland's hopes. That's the physical toll that the French game took compared to what they then had going into Argentina. So I would say that's probably Joe Schmidt's chief concern. He probably, from an Irish perspective, would have wanted all of the last round of games to be cancelled if you're talking about continuity and integrity mm-hmm. in the tournament. So... It's not great news for Ireland who are, if the Scotland game's off, going to play New Zealand. It's obviously much worse news for Scotland who all of a sudden were in a, effectively a playoff to go through to the quarterfinals and now potentially are just going to get chucked out of the competition. Like This is absolute madness for a tournament of this stature. It's unprecedented for a tournament of this stature, you know, there's been things like, you know, the New York City Marathon after Sandy Hook and things like that that have been postponed. But we're talking about annual events. Um, in terms of team competitions having this sort of unfinished element to them, you're really talking about, you know, I suppose um, human interference of, you know, acts of war, acts of terrorism, so on and so forth. The fact that weather could play such a part in a tournament when um, at the end of the day this tournament's been 10 years in the making and everybody knew it was in typhoon season in Japan. You know, this is essentially like 
say, four players in the last day of the Masters not being able to play their final round. Yeah. And still declaring a winner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's bonkers. Why, why not move the games? Japan's such a big country, as we know. Not all of the country is going to be all being well impacted by the typhoon. Why can they not move these games? Well, they said logistics, you know. I suppose, like anyone who's ever tried to organise a game of five side, <laughs> it's difficult to uh, get a sporting event thrown together at short notice. So imagine that on a huge scale. For me, I don't think that washes. I think playing the games behind closed doors or something would have been better than this because I think while Japan, Scotland and Italy weren't going to win this tournament, I think that's fair to say. I think this has a lasting impact on the tournament's legacy, which up to now has been hugely, hugely positive, it has to be said. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I've wrote a comment page for tomorrow's paper basically saying nobody ever remembers the Rugby World Cup for its full stages, but this might prove to be the exception. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, the tournament organisers have stressed that the safety of players, fans, everybody concerned is paramount, which absolutely 100% correct. But what does this do to the stature of not only the World Cup, but for the reputation of rugby as a sport? It's it's hugely it's a huge dent. It really is like the World Cup is your showpiece event. It's you know it's it's hard to put it into context because it happens only every four years. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like this isn't like you know. As I suppose you've seen, like more in American sports seasons cancelled and things like that in the recent times, you know, post World War II, if you like, we've seen seasons cancelled. But to have something that only happens every four years, the third biggest sporting event in the world, we're so often told, mm-hmm. uh, to be influenced in such a way, it's, it really is incredible. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I, can, like, I can't get my head around what's happened today, I really can't. I've had to try because I've had to write about it all. <laughs> what, what has the mood been like amongst the other journalists and people you've been speaking to over there? Um, well, see, we're, we're sort of out of it here. Like, we're very much, not to use the Jewish my phrase, but we're pretty much in a bubble here because we're mm-hmm. so far so far south that it's all just Ireland journalists, but just from like talking to people who've been talking to the Scottish camp, um, they're obviously furious. As anyone who regularly listens to our podcast knows, I'll never mention that opportunity to talk about Sergio Parise. Um, Sergio Parise um, said that it was incredible that, that this has happened and it wouldn't have happened if New Zealand needed the result against them rather than yeah. the other way around. You know, most likely he's been denied his last appearance for Italy. We know that, you know, Geraldini, uh, their uh, long serving front rower, has been denied what was going to be the last game of his career. Um, so his career's now over, apparently he burst into tears when he heard the news. Like, the toll on this for players, and um, obviously we're, like, we're all here for work, but we shouldn't ignore the fact that his fans have forked out genuinely tens of thousands to come to this tournament. They're going to get a refund for their tickets, but they're not going to get a refund for their hotels and their flights. Like, um, mm-hmm. you know, imagine if that was the game that you got tickets from, and you were out here. I know, yeah. Yeah, it's a bit, uh, a bit crazy, his... Our uh, fellow journalist from the Independent Down South, Daniel McDonald, tweeted, is this not the whole point of making a World Cup draw two years in advance so that you can get the logistics and everything planned out to a T? The fact that there couldn't be some sort of contingency planning whenever 
you knew you were going to Japan, you knew it was going to be typhoon season. Um, seems a, a little well, bit like crazy. I never like to. Uh, <laughs> sorry, as a rubber journalist, I never find myself using the phrase. I wish FIFA were more prevalent in my life. One, <laughs> two weeks. You know, they moved the World Cup final forward two weeks, which later in the end of June. Yeah, you know, which was a big change. It was a bummer for us because I meant the whole thing was on during school. You didn't get that two weeks at the end that you normally get in your summer holidays. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, even something like that. Because it, it, it should be noted that this is a surprisingly severe typhoon for this time of year. Because yeah. this is the end of typhoon season. You know, if you had to move the, move the tournament two weeks, I know like rugby or world rugby calendars are a pain in the behinds to uh, line up at the best of times. But like, um, if you move it two weeks, then you're really out of typhoon season. And well, I would have got some use out of all the jeans and jumpers I brought as well. So everybody <laughs> one. Uh, we should just uh, point out again that Alan Gilpin, the tournament director, has said stressed that the safety was was paramount and he says that while making every possible effort to put in place a contingency plan that would enable all of Saturday's matches to be played, it would be grossly irresponsible to leave teams, fans, volunteers and other tournament personnel exposed during what is, as you say, John, predicted to be a very uh, severe typhoon. So, uh, look, it is what it is. We'll wait and see what happens with the Scotland game. What that does mean for Ireland is... They're not going to decide until the Scotland game until Sunday morning Japan time we're here. And so that means when Ireland play Samoa, they must approach it like they need a bonus point. A bonus point win. Yes. So the interesting thing, I suppose, from Ireland's press conference today was nothing's changed for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we today obviously went and interviewed Joe Schmidt, Rory Best, other Ireland players. Uh, and um, generally it was like... Understandably so, I hasten to add. It was genuinely like the, one of the biggest stories in the history of the World Cup wasn't happening. Because <laughs> they were being asked questions about it. And I said, you know, we're focused on the task at hand, focused on beating Samoa, which I completely understand, but it was just a sort of strange, um, <laughs> strange element to the working day, if you get me, that like, you know, the biggest, um, <laughs> the biggest story was developing elsewhere. And, you know, we're talking about Samoa, which. Obviously, we still think that Ireland are going to win. Like the best thing that Ireland can do is approach this game like none of this is happening and take themselves mm-hmm. out of that equation. Yeah. Because with the best one in the world, I'd be very shocked if Ireland lose, but it could happen. And nobody wants to be that backdoor quarterfinalist. Essentially, you know, mm-hmm. um, nobody wants to be the team that's remembered for uh, this typhoon getting them into the quarterfinals. And I, obviously, it'd be a real pity if that was Japan because I don't. I agree with the fact that Scotland are three-point favourites for the game on Sunday if it goes ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Japan would have done the business anyway. So it would be a real shame for their, for their own World Cup, essentially, if they were remembered as uh, the team that went through as the beneficiaries of this. Yeah, it would also just be a shame because it's set up to be such a great game on Sunday. But, uh... Well, that's it. The those stages felt so sort of top-heavy. And you look at some of the margins that we've had in the games uh, the last week, and it really feels like while this tournament's a great occasion and it's significant historically being the first one in Asia, in terms of the quality of the games, uh, it's run out of steam. It's <laughs> really to go through these pool stages. Like Wales v Fiji um, last night was really enjoyable, but it felt like the, the tournament really needed it because it had been fair wise since we had a decent game, like mm-hmm. um, a close game, you know? Yeah. And that 
was going to be the saving grace, really, of uh, this weekend. The fact that, somewhat surprisingly, I don't think it's unfair to say, like um, Japan, Scotland, and Ireland were in a three-way tie. We would have expected maybe a two-way tie. Mm. Um, I still shoot it out, but the fact that there were three teams involved, I sort of saved a weekend that looked like it was petering out because there was an awful lot of, I'm sure you saw them reports in France, that like mutiny in the camp and the players couldn't decide whether they actually wanted to beat England or uh, whether they would rather just take their chances against Wales or Australia and know that they were avoiding the All Blacks in the semi-finals, all very uh, French and World Cup sort of stuff, but <laughs> it uh, didn't bo- and England obviously probably look at the Rapson boys in Cottonwood given the injury and mm-hmm. illness that they picked up so it wasn't shaping up to be a great last weekend um, which would have really meant that it wasn't shaping up to be a great last I suppose week of those stages and for people who dislike this tournament there was um, ammunition really because mm-hmm. the margins have just been so big and again it sort of felt like we were drawing it out to uh, you know get 8 or 9 or sorry 9 or 10 teams down to 8 teams yeah. but we were going to have this cracking uh, shootout on the Sunday Sunday night for us, Sunday morning for you, so it was uh, going to be the game everyone's going to look forward to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, having been to two Japan games now, I'm sure it would have been an, uh, sorry, I'm sure it will be an incredible occasion if it does indeed go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. So just quickly then, the Ireland team, which is very, very far down the pegging order of stories uh, today now, but back to fairly fairly much full strength the three Ulster players are in there Robbie Henshaw is getting a, a first start so it will be be interesting to see just how uh, impressive or otherwise Ireland are because they need a big performance yeah like you know we talk about the dangers of um, a fresh New Zealand side in the quarters but I think it's the one thing that probably did need this game um, it's Ireland but regardless of the danger of injuries I don't think you would want to be going in to a quarter-final against the All Blacks at the back of the three games we just had. And obviously Robbie Henshaw is probably one of their five most important players. You wouldn't have wanted to be going to do with him not having played since, what, the first week in September either. So it's it's a big chance, I think, to get some of your mojo back, um, to be honest. And like, I think Samoa are going to be more stubborn than people give them credit for. At the end of the day, it took 75 minutes for um, Scotland to get the bonus point against them. It took 84 minutes on that. Uh, crooked feet call in a scrum for Japan to get the bonus point against them so mm. you know I don't think they're going to steamroll over them but given the way my predictions are going uh, so far in this World Cup that probably means that uh, Ireland on the game rounds up in about 20 minutes one of the big talking points of that team announcement was the fact that Tag Byrne is preferred to race Roddick which maybe catching a few people by surprise given how Ruddock has performed so far uh, at the World Cup. He's arguably been uh, Ireland's best player. Uh, yeah, he was far and away the best player um, against Russia. I still have Gary Ringo. He's not very top bracket. He's another player. Um, not featuring against him over here. But um, I think the phrase was didn't pitch up right in tune. I haven't looked back on the press conference. It's been sort of flat out since uh, team announcement. But um, I think that's what Joe Smith said about him, so maybe just the physical toll. He's obviously tried to go for a fairly fresh-looking team. You know, Josh Van der Flyer um, is coming in, having not played against Russia, so he's fresh. Tyg Burns, somebody that I thought has probably earned a greater crack at it, haven't played well so far. I didn't think they were coming six, I'll be honest, but um, it's going to be really interesting to see how that macro works out, because... Um, 
know, Rudders have really taken his chance. Peter O'Man, he hasn't really. He's on the bench. He goes again. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how Ty Byrne goes at six. And obviously, you're playing uh, back over our lights at the minute because um, you're still without Jordy, obviously. <laughs> Jordy got somewhat uh, uh, brushed under the carpet at today's presser, so <laughs> didn't actually hear how he. Uh, how he's doing with his own return from injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an opportunity as well, I suppose, for Jacob Stock to get, to get his first try of the World Cup. He's uh, approaching crisis stage if he doesn't score a try in uh, a third successive game. Well, this is the thing. You know, um, we made such a big deal about him getting in the top 10 of Ireland's top try scores. Given Rob Carney's recent run of form, if Rob Carney would score again before Jacob does, Jacob would actually fall out of the top 10. <laughs> incredible stuff. The kind of stuff that only I care about, I don't know nobody else does. <laughs> but um, other people are concerned with more important matters, like the actual rugby. But, you know, it's something to watch out for. <laughs> Absolutely. He's, uh, he, yeah, he spoke during the week, he said, you know, he's not too bothered as long as the team wins, which I'm sure is true. But um, in a wider sense, it would do no harm as a gauge of Ireland's performance of how much more often they're getting the ball and Jacob stuck to his hands. We haven't seen it. No, uh, I have a lot um, so far in this tournament. Yeah, so just very quickly, finally, then have you got a prediction for us for the game? I think it will be thirty-three to twelve to Ireland. To Ireland. <laughs> just to confirm, I mean, look, we're ruling nothing out of this World Cup the way it's going. We'll keep an eye out yeah, for that. Then I predict Ireland to get beat by Samoa. I think it would be a bad sign if <laughs> I was enjoying Japan. <laughs> <laughs> probably right well look go you and enjoy Japan a little bit more and we will chat to you after what is set up to be a very very interesting weekend at the Rugby World Cup you're listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundups World Cup Special brought to you in association with Rimasuo Victoria Square Belfast and Stockist Nationwide on to provincial matters then and the bashing in Bloemfontein on the line to look back at Ulster's 63-26 loss to Cheetahs is Michael Sadler. Hello again, Michael. Oh, hi, Gareth. How's it going? Well, uh, burn up after being subjected to that ordeal at the weekend, uh, as you were yourself. Before we get on to the Cheetahs game, the main talking point of the midweek that people want to know about is your article on the Belfast Telegraph, I think it was yesterday. Stuart McCoskey is potentially en route to South Africa. Well, if he is going to be going yet, say, I'd like to think he's there. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yes. Jesus, um, we know the James Human off and does have a, a, a nose injury. He described it as a busted nose, but it's not mm-hmm. too bad. Um, he didn't in any way suggest that he couldn't be available for the Kings, but you'd expect him to say that anyway because they don't want to give anything away. If indeed he wasn't able to play, they do have cover out there, there's no doubt about it, they could do it, they could get around it, um, depending of course on who uh, who else may or may not be injured, well, but, um, uh, which we don't necessarily know. Yeah, the only one we know about for certain is that Michael Lowry's out, isn't that right? And then there's question uh, marks over the likes of McGrath and Burns and Hume, as you say. That's right. Yeah, question marks over Hume basically because of the state that he went off in uh, with uh, the nose mm-hmm. and what he said about it. Uh, Burns was originally not seen as a sort of an issue with any kind of injury, it was pure selection, but then seemed to be clarified that there might be some sort of issue. Uh, Jack McGrath had a toe problem, uh, but we none the wiser as to the availability of any of those guys. Mm-hmm. It's just really Michael Lowry. If indeed there was doubt over James Hume, and if indeed Stuart McCluskey was fit and willing and able <coughs> to jump on a long haul flight, um, I think you'd take him because it's vitally important to put in a big performance against the Kings and take away, if you can, five points. And Stuart McCluskey is fundamental to the way the side play. He is very strong in defence, a very powerful runner, and a great offloader. Mm-hmm. So if you could, you deploy him, I think. Um, we shall see if that is the case. Yeah. And Vihan Herbst obviously is out there providing cover, but we understand that's probably all he's doing, and we're unlikely to see him unless something unforeseen happens. Well, again, Dan McFarland was asked about this, and uh, if he made anything clear at all, it was that Vihan Herbst is merely there for cover, and that if their guys are fit, their guys will play. Mm-hmm. Um, those guys being Ross Kane, Tom O'Toole. Um, I assumed that Vihan Herbst probably would be involved in some way, but that, see, that notion seems to have been, uh, you know, uh, swatted away by by, by Dan McFarland. Again, we, we'll, we'll just see what happens when the team's announced, because we have literally no real idea, other yeah. than Michael Harvey, yeah. who or who, you know, who or who isn't in a position to, to play this game. Mm-hmm. Well, Ulster could certainly do with an improvement, to say the least, regardless of who's going to play. Last weekend, nine tries conceded. Uh, that's equal to the record that was set in the monster defeat last year. And really, in the second half, it wasn't sort of out of the question that that score record of 64-7 was in threat at one stage. Such was the, the, the danger Ulster were in. Uh, they were yeah. making quite a play that they walked away, not quite a play, but they 
they, they did emphasise that they did walk away with one point, which could be very, very important. They got their four tries. And uh, but that seemed to be masking over the fact that this was, by some way, a horribly substandard performance defensively, set piece. You know, it, 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 was, it, was, it was a horror show for uh, large parts um, of that game. What, what was it exactly that went wrong? Obviously, you can see the nine tries. It's needless to say that the defence was fairly shambolic, but the scrum was overpowered. Every time she just ran at them, they looked like they were going to concede. How did this happen? Uh, well, uh, it's a good question. Um, it's hard. It's, you can't really put your finger on why it happened. Yeah. I think, fundamentally, first of all, the game was far too fast and open. Ulster didn't want to play a game like that. It, uh, it fell beautifully into the Cheetahs' lap, the uh, laps that they got, that head start. They got their dander up. Ulster's confidence took a bit of a beating. And really from there, it, it was a case of, you could tell very early on that Cheetahs just had far too much power up front, mm-hmm. far too much accuracy behind the scrum. And I think, quite frankly, even they would have probably been surprised at how easy some of those scores um, came to them. But once they, <laughs> once they got that sniff of being able to push on boy they did they really really did uh, put Ulster to the sword and I think what Ulster didn't they scored one try in the first half but I think it was something like about 33 or 34 minutes of play before they scored another point mm-hmm. um, you know I think it's very worst something like something like 49-7 down I guess at that point when you're a team so far in front you might take the foot off the throttle a bit mm-hmm. um and that maybe is indeed, I suspect, what, what actually happened. Um, but, you know, um, Ulster got an opportunity to get some scores. The game itself then suddenly started to resemble a times a sevens game <laughs> when I think the G just probably forced even forced it too much. If they'd, if they'd shut up shop, I'm not sure Ulster would have got that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and that may be a weakness of the Cheetahs that that's really the... You know, there is only plan A and they, they didn't revert to sort of saying, well... Why don't we just close this down? Why would they? Mm-hmm. They probably thought to themselves that there was 70 on offer. Yeah. Um, and in a way, that invited Ulster back into the game. She just got a bit loose. They took off some key players. Well, Ruth Pienaar was taken off at the 46th minute yeah. once they decided the game was no longer in doubt. Now, he hadn't done an awful lot in the game. Mm-hmm. Picked all his conversions. He kept, you know, he, he kept the ball uh, fizzing it out, but he, you know, he wasn't doing anything particularly. He wasn't hitting with, with a lot of box kicks. He wasn't under any pressure. It was like an armchair ride for him. Yeah. So I guess once they decided that the game was done and dusted, they wanted to get one of their key players off in case he got hurt. But he, he certainly probably wouldn't have had, rarely had an easier game, quite yeah. honestly. Yeah. Um, I don't know why it happened, Gareth. Um, there was talk afterwards about the altitude being a factor. Uh, I'm sure it was, but Ulster still finished quite strongly. Yeah. Um, so... It just was a horror show, and we saw that this is possible because of what happened uh, last year at Monster. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it can happen. And uh, clearly, we saw as well in the Ospreys game. I remember the Ospreys scored a try, but they found this huge hole in Ulster's defence. And the Cheetahs did exactly the same. Yeah. And they poured through. And. Um, I think Ulster were completely shell-shocked. Now, mm-hmm. it's very interesting. I don't know how they will have recovered um, going to the Kings. The Kings are, well, the, the tournament's weakest teams, but Ulster have 
get a try bonus, but did win the game. So it will be very interesting to see how they have regrouped. Mm-hmm. I know they've had some downtime in Cape Town. They got away from Bloemfontein, not a bad idea. And um, I think they'd go to Port Elizabeth. Uh, I think it's possibly tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're staying away from Port Elizabeth. They're training and preparing in Cape Town. But that must have had an effect on them mm-hmm. uh, to, to yeah. being so badly mauled. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if we just you mentioned Ruben Pinar obviously who made all those kicks and everything he did look exceptionally easy but in their their back line the winger Volmink who scored a couple of tries and then the fullback Rhino Smith where if you were watching that as a neutral you would have been absolutely thrilled to watch those two guys yeah yeah oh well I mean the Ulster should have been well aware of them particularly Rhino Smith what he can do um, they would have been aware of both of them actually broken play runners so you don't give them opportunities like that. Well, they did. Um, and also got no traction in the game either. I mean, they lost four nine outs. So I think all those either lost mm-hmm. in the first half. You name it. If it went wrong, if it could go wrong, <laughs> I should say it, it, it did go wrong. And if there's any inaccuracy, and if there's space, well, the Cheetahs will exploit that. And you saw what they did. Mm-hmm. I mean, they did something similar really with Glasgow um, the week before as well. But this time. How, how good do you think the, the, the put 48 points on Glasgow 63 on Ulster how high up do you think they're, they could finish what can they achieve this season um, that will entirely depend on how they play away from Bloemfontein yeah. um, and that is yet to be uh, to be seen it'll be very interesting to see I don't know what their first uh, away game is uh, they'll probably play several away games but it'll be very interesting to see how they get on here because they're not playing at their altitude Um they're not playing in, again, it's worth pointing out, it was warm in Bloemfontein. Uh, Ulster did sort of make, make mention of this, that the conditions were quite tricky. Um, very different beast away from the Toyota Stadium. I mean, sides won a Toyota Stadium last year too, but I think the Cheetahs look stronger this year. That will only, Gareth, be evident when they get a few away games under their belt to see if they really are serious challengers in, in the conference. Um, and I'm just looking to see where uh, Cheetah's first away game is it's actually in Connaught on the 26th of October so that will be certainly be an interesting one and they could probably put down a bit of a marker on that one uh, yeah they could um, playing a Galway is not easy for anybody a bit different um, than uh, Bloemfontein it certainly is well yeah it, it, it's difficult for different different reasons yeah. <laughs> it's a lot colder and usually there's a gale blowing um, <laughs> positives for Ulster to take out of that game uh, performance wise I know when your player ratings James Hume, James Hume topped up with, but that was just with a 6 so it sort of indicated he was probably the, the best of a bad bunch oh no those weren't my ratings oh sorry apologies well no. whoever, whoever did the ratings <laughs> shall I name them if you wish Adam I assume it was Adam given that we don't have any other reporters, rugby reporters that aren't in Japan that's right <laughs> um, um. So could, uh, how much face did James Hume save or was there anybody else that you could say delivered any sort of a positive performance for Ulster? Um, not really, no. <laughs> the the scoreline would suggest that what Ulster could take credit from, I suppose, is getting that losing bonus point. 
obviously at the time and still now it doesn't feel like much of a consolation but it's more than Glasgow took from Bloemfontein when the dust settles maybe as the season progresses could that could we look back on that as being a potentially significant moment well that's certainly what Ulster wanted to hang it on anyway um, yes it could be I mean it, it could be uh, in a very tight conference finish um, but at this stage it's, it's, it's impossible to know it's hard just to get past the scoreline really um, and you know in, in, in places how abject the performance was and how easily they were they were beaten um, so that you know they weren't they did get a bonus point and yes it is true that this could be very significant at some point but the manner in which they weren't really competitive at key moments in that game was mm-hmm. uh, was unsettling and, and can only have had a sort of similar effect on, on the squad and, and management at the moment so yeah. really emphasising how vitally important it is for them to come away from Port Elizabeth with an entirely different outcome mm-hmm. and a positive outcome taking into the break because they don't have a game uh, yeah. next week. But that, that's something that they should be, regardless of last weekend, should still be confident to do. And the two games for Kings so far at home, Cardiff and Munster have both scored 31 points. Oh, like Regardless of what happened, Ulster should be going into this game confident they'll win it. Oh yeah, they were always going to be confident. Now, in fairness, Munster had to work hard to get their bonus off the Kings, and that Cardiff game was quite close. Mm-hmm. If you're a side low in confidence, then it's, it's never a good idea to to be going anywhere in particular but yeah. you can't necessarily expect you're going to hit the ground running at the Kings uh, the Kings can do something similar to the Cheetahs they quite enjoy broken aspects of broken play there's been talk they've changed their game plan they've, they've structured it more this year and they're a bit better which is only good for the competition because they really mm-hmm. they haven't been great um, but if you're a side low in confidence and if you don't start well then you're kind of inviting a weaker side or on paper into the game and Ulster do not want to be doing that um, I think there may well be some changes to this team I don't quite know what he's going to do and obviously there's, there are all the rumours about Stuart McCluskey but um, I think it's fair to say that I think again Ulster will not want this game fast and loose they want to put it to bed, they want to take control of it early on and uh, iron out all those problems that the cheat is so easily exposed mm-hmm. um, in Blue Yeah. So Ulster eight point favourites going into this one. If you uh, do, you have a prediction for us? Um, uh, I think they will win. Um, if they don't win, it's a seismic shock. But yeah. I think they will win. I don't know if they'll get the bonus. Um, I just don't know what effect uh, last week might have had. Would they take a win without a bonus point if you offered it to them now? Do you think? We didn't. We probably didn't say earlier because last week, uh, before the game, when he wasn't in the squad, we had thought that was uh, more of a tactical decision than anything. Yeah. But there maybe maybe was a little niggle. Is that right? Uh, there, that's the latest sort of suggestion, mm-hmm. if you like. But that may I don't know how accurate or otherwise that is. It, 
Yeah. It seemed like a very curious thing to do. Yeah. Um, you would have thought that they would have done the other way around and played Baltas maybe in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there may well have been some sort of, of niggle, which was odd because when Billy came to the midweek press conference prior to their, their departure for South Africa, he certainly didn't seem to think he wasn't playing against the Cheetahs. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he's that good <laughs> a liar. I don't think he could have done <laughs> that. For one of the one of the tracks. but he was he was badly exposed too. Too, because every time uh, Volman or Smith had the ball, it just seemed it was a one-on-one. We blink and he's threw one-on-one on Faris. I mean, he was on a hide and nothing on many occasions during the game. Uh, yeah, he was. He was. I don't think you can actually single out anybody. No. It was just collective. I don't think Matt Faris could have done much in, in quite a few of those situations, really. Um, Smith's got to step in. Yeah. He's, 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 he's good enough quality um, that you're, you're going to get done by him. And uh, you know, and, and that happened. Um, hopefully, as I say, this they're hoping this is kind of a bit of a blip. It is worrying that they they got tanked last year as well, but there were circumstances in that that might have suggested that at Munster. This is rather more worrying. Yeah. Um, and also, they weren't great against the Ospreys, but you sort of put that down to early season kind of yeah. just being a bit rusty. That was. That's quite worrying. The only way that you can kind of dispel some of that worry is by putting in a decent show okay. against the Kings yeah. uh, and then go away for a break, come back, and then there are two home games. I can't remember which way around there, Cardiff and Zebra. Yeah. There are two home games that they should be winning to get themselves, if you like, right back on track and, and steady mm. the ship. Uh, but, you know, injuries. injuries are damaging for them. Mm. They haven't got Marty Moore either. Uh, he's we don't know when he's going to be made available. Um, the hope is he'll be back for the next, you know, after the break. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, and Will Addison as well. We 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 think that Will Addison is 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 okay again to go, good to mm-hmm. go. But uh, I don't think there's been any suggestion, certainly, that or rumour that he's been heading no. winging his way to South Africa. Yeah. Um, no, absolutely not. Well, look, fingers crossed, Ulster's can get things back on track this weekend, and uh, we will speak to you very soon afterwards, I'm sure. Thank you very much, Michael. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. 
You've been listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundup's World Cup Special, brought to you in association with Wee Masuomo, Victoria Square Belfast and Stockists Nationwide.